This morning's Old Testament reading is from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the 60th chapter. We'll hear this morning the opening three verses. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading for this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 8 and continuing through verse 14. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says... Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Admittedly, this season of Lent that we find ourselves in can seem a rather dark season. Storm clouds are increasing on the horizon as the Messiah turns his face towards Jerusalem, the place where he will have that final showdown with the powers, the principalities, and their agents. The results will indeed bring about the darkest hour in all of human history. But even as the church recalls and retraces the steps of the Savior on the Via Dolorosa, we should be mindful not to focus on the darkness to the exclusion of the light, for that would relegate Jesus' death to that of any other mere human. And though he was, as we confess, truly man, he was as we also confess, truly God. Whereas the grave is the end for the rest of us, it was not and is not so for Christ, who loves and reigns forever and ever. Nearly 20 years ago, how time flies, the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ, was released and caused a pretty big stir. Some critics panned the film for being overly gory, while others were disappointed in the level of humanity that Jesus was portrayed as having. 
For me, the biggest concern I had, mind you now, this is coming from someone who only ever read reviews of the movie, having never actually seen the whole thing myself. Uh, But my problem with it is that it ended with the death of the title character. Now, I have, on the other hand, seen stage productions of the musical Jesus Christ Superstar and appreciated the ways that the people who have been putting that on have found to subtly portray a a message of hope, leaving the audience to depart the theater with, but seemingly not so much so in the movie by the professed Catholic Gibson. But this week, mind you, I read reports about rumors of Mel's work on a long-awaited sequel that might finally be getting some traction. If the notion of this then being a film series is true, well, this would, in my mind, bring some redemption to the first installment. For while the death of the Son of God was indeed necessary to atone for our sins, the resurrection of the Son of God was necessary to open the gates of heaven to all who would profess him to be Lord of all. This would take the Hollywood narrative along where the biblical one goes, from darkness into light. Without the empty tomb, there would simply be another set of remains in a Middle Eastern ossuary, and we would be left without hope. And that's a pretty depressing place for anyone to find themselves. So yes, we walk through a somber season, but it is not the final destination for those who have chosen to put their trust in Jesus. We, who have put him on, as Paul says, and who bear his name as Christians, we were once in darkness and now light. And as part of our lived gratitude, we now choose to reflect the light into the world. Sons and daughters who were born into a land of darkness amidst a people of deep darkness, we have come to the light, and we are now part of his worldly illumination mission. And this requires us to live as children of the light, no longer by the rules we once lived by before. Gone are the days of our unfruitful works of darkness, bound now to pursue all that is good and right and true. These are near to the heart of our God, as Paul puts it, pleasing to him. But it's one thing to read or hear these words and even to to give assent to them, believing that they sound like the better way. It is, I would submit to you, another and much more challenging thing altogether to apply them, to live into them. Yet that is just the charge that we have been given. And don't take my word for it alone. Arguably, the the most talented and 
voluminous Reformed theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, put it like this. In making himself known, God acts on the whole man. Hence, the knowledge of God given to man through his illumination is no mere apprehension and understanding of God's being in action, nor as such a kind of intuitive contemplation. It is the claiming not only of his thinking, but also of his willing and work of the whole man for God. Whereas the world full of unbelievers can claim ignorance, at least in this life, we who know the truth can only claim willful disobedience for refusing to live differently. So what does it look like to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them? Among the requirements, this presbytery of Newcastle has for its active clergy members is an in-service training program titled Healthy Boundaries. That's an ecclesial euphemism for how to prevent clergy abuse allegations and to protect congregations from related lawsuits. Ministers here have to participate in this training within a year of beginning service within the bounds of this presbytery, and then they are required to participate in another refresher training again every three years for as long as they remain in active service here. Well, like many others, I was due for a refresher during the height of the recent pandemic when in-person gatherings were either forbidden or greatly discouraged. So adapting to these conditions, provision was made for receiving the refresher training through an online educational outlet whose curriculum included a similarly themed offering. I tell you all of this because the name of that organization is from darkness to light. There's a couple of ways to understand that name in this context, and they are both biblical and tied directly to this morning's New Testament reading. The first is as a corrective for bad, we would say, sinful behavior. It is a call for evildoers to repent of their misdeeds, to stop doing the negative things that harm others and self, to start doing the positive things instead. I suppose most any counselor, psychiatrist, or self-help guru would offer their clients pretty much this same advice. First, do no harm. The second interpretation of from darkness to light is a bit more subtle, but perhaps even more aligned with Paul's charge to his fellow believers and, by extension, to us as well. As he is here describing it to the Ephesians, it's not simply the Old Testament way of honoring God, as in, thou shalt not this, that, and the other, but it is going the extra mile, as Jesus taught his followers to understand the laws of Moses. If you see a wrong being done or about to be done, you now have an obligation 
to act to stop or even prevent the harm. Such an understanding of God's will for us would be echoed by our reformational ancestor, John Calvin, who in addition to being one of the sharpest theological minds of the 16th century, was also a lawyer by professional training. In his study and interpretation of the scriptures in general and the law of Moses in particular, he came to understand and propose an even more expansive interpretation of the Ten Commandments. And he argued that for each prohibition, there was an implied positive directive and that for each imperative, there was a corresponding admonition. For example, he contended that it was not simply God's will that people should not do harm unto death to other people, but that they should do things that would enhance their being, healing them rather than hurting them. Nor was it God's will that people should simply honor their mother and father by being obedient to their explicit directions, but rather to bring them honor by the way in which their children conducted themselves in all circumstances. By broadening and expansively interpreting the Hebrew scriptures, it has been argued, Jesus had been asking yet even more from his followers than the letter of the law. The truth this truth is one that Paul, himself a former Pharisee, one admittedly with a zeal for the Mosaic law, had been wrestling with and here, seemingly in Ephesians, begins to embrace it. And it has laid the foundation for the understanding that Calvin shared during the age of Reformation. You, who are now enlightened in spirit and mind, must awaken in body to live in the light of the gospel of Jesus, who is the light of the world. So arise, people of God, and seize the day, as did the Ephesians. So too we hear this call from God through his servant Paul. In his life and ministry, our Savior taught us and showed us what it looks like to be fully alive in this new age, which he inaugurated and, and brought to earth. And with his resurrection from the dead, he has showed us that the divine light cannot be extinguished, no matter how hard the powers of darkness work to achieve that end. God is both the instigator of this new life and the enabler of this new life in the light. He knows, and I think we do too deep down, that we could not resist the darkness on our own. Even when the world has been at its darkest, even when people are at their darkest, even in the midst of a season of sorrow, sadness, and shadows, they are no match for the light that shines upon us. The dawn that continues to break forth new every morning through the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.